I'm Lieutenant Pat Doring, Crisis Negotiator from WhatCopsWatch.com, and you're listening to another terrifying episode of Two Guys Talking Horror via the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. In the age of reboots, remakes and reimaginings, a very crucial piece of storytelling is, most of the time, overlooked. Legacy. When writers and filmmakers ignore the legacy of the horror property they intend to refresh, the end product usually ends up a rehash of an old story with just updated effects. That's not what fans want. The only reason to re-anything is to improve upon the original by adding something creatively new while still respecting the original. But sometimes, too much respect of the original leaves you trapped in a box. You're left with no room for creativity because you're so focused on adhering to the decades and decades of material that came before you. You dare not change the formula, because change is scary, especially for horror fans. But we don't want to see the same thing over and over and over again, do we? How do you respect legacy without destroying it? Do you cater to the fans? Do you kneel at the altar of nostalgia? Do you risk it all and try something new? A film has arrived in theaters that has divided horror fans because it both respects the legacy of its franchise and spits in its face. I'm talking about Halloween 2018. Prepare yourself to take a ride along multiple highways of continuity as we here at Two Guys Talking Horror explain the legacy of Michael Myers and share our thoughts on his return to the big screen during this Cut the Crap movie review. (laughs) Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. I am your host, Nicholas J. Hearn. Joined with me today across the table is... Diesel Adams. Back again. We have just come back from the movie theater, and we've just seen Halloween... 2018, because I'm not going to call it just Halloween, because there's already a movie called Halloween that came out in 1978. Halloween 2018, 
We're going to talk all about it. But first, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. The Podcaster's Matrix. Are you interested in starting a podcast? Have a podcast but don't know where to post it? The folks over at the Podcaster's Matrix can handle all of your podcasting needs. Whether you have a back library of hundreds of shows or if you're a new podcaster just waiting to dive in to the podcasting world. All you have to do is reach out to those folks over there. It's podcastersmatrix.com. There'll be a link to their site in the show notes to this episode. The Frankenstein 200th Anniversary Special. I cannot believe it has been 200 years since Mary Shelley released her novel Frankenstein or The Modern Prometheus. But it has, it has, it has been 200 years. And we here at Two Guys Talking Horror have put together a monumentous episode for you. It's it's me, it's my co-host Jason Contini, and we brought in his father, John Contini, who is an original monster kid, grew up with all of the old movies, and he is an expert on all things classic. And it's the three of us, and we're talking about not only the book, but everything Frankenstein. Make sure you check out Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, a 200th anniversary special from Two Guys Talking Horror. All right, so that's enough of housekeeping. I know everybody is dying to hear what we thought about the new Halloween movie. Before we dig into that, I have to remind everybody what a cut-the-crap movie review is all about. If you break films down, if you break, if you break talking about a movie down into three easy pieces, the writing, the acting, and the overall production of said movie, you keep it nice and distinct. We're keeping it simple. It's, it, we're going to talk about the script, we're going to talk about the acting, and we're going to talk about the overall production. And each of them are going to get some sort of star rating. Everything, everything can total up to a three star or a zero star. So we'll see how things go for this movie. For any of our listeners who haven't experienced the legacy that is Halloween and Michael Myers, I think something needs to be pointed out. Uh, some people who don't pay attention to the internet or social media or anything like that, <laughs> well, may not know exactly what they're getting into going to see Halloween 2018. Because this movie ignores everything in the franchise except for John Carpenter's original 1978 film. So there's no part two, more from the night he came home. There's no part four, the return of Michael Myers. There's no five, the revenge of Michael Myers. There's no part six, the curse of Michael Myers. There's no Halloween H2O, <laughs> and there's no Halloween resurrection. And, and technically speaking, I think we can all be very happy that there is no Halloween resurrection, because that, that was a bad movie. But there are now four Halloween timelines that you can follow. And I'm going to break things down now before we get into our review, just so people who may not be familiar with all of the Halloween films, can get an understanding of how you can enjoy these movies. The first timeline would be to enjoy all of the movies. Yeah, every single one of them. 
even though part three has nothing to do with Michael Myers, Haddonfield, uh, or Laurie Strode. Oh, season, oh, season of the Witch. Oh. Now, see, I'm a fan of Season of the Witch. I'm not. I, really. Big fan of Season of the Witch because it's completely different. I actually think uh, it gets it gets some bad flack because it's called Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. If it was just called Season of the Witch and didn't have that stigma of trying to be a part of the Michael Myers legacy, I think I might have gotten a better shot. But that's just me. Although the that song is creepily catchy. Silver Shamrock song. The first timeline would be to enjoy all the movies, even though those movies themselves have a sketchy timeline. Because if you follow the films, the seventh movie, which would have been H2O, ignores part four, five, and six, and just picks up after the first two movies, part one and part two. But there are elements talked about in all of the movies that actually make you believe that they could all still be related, and I'll, I'll explain. At the beginning of part four, the return of Michael Myers, you learn that Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, you learn that Laurie Strode died in a car accident, leaving behind her daughter, Jamie. And then Michael finds out that he has a niece, wakes up out of the, you know, the catatonic state that he was in in the, in the asylum, and tries to hunt her down. Because in those films, you learn, ha-ha, because of part two, Laurie Strode is actually Laurie Myers. Michael and Laurie are related. It's his sister. So it's all about him going after his family. And then in the sixth film, The Curse of Michael Myers, you find out, why and it's pretty half-handed it could have been a really great story but i but i always find that when you try to explain the monster it kind of you kind of take away the mystique i want to kind of stop right there for a moment okay because i've only seen bits and pieces of the curse of michael myers so i don't quite know from what i gather he's it's a cult and he's like a sentinel of this cult of some sort. That's uh, what I mean. Yes, I'm actually, completely lost. Right. Uh, well, I'll explain, I'll explain uh, briefly the plot. Uh, actually, there's two movies. There's two films. There's two versions. There's the theatrical cut and then what is called the producer's cut. And each one of those have different footage and tell a slightly different story. Uh, I believe that if you actually took both of those films and if I had the ability, I would recut both of them together and take the pieces that make sense out of both films. And I think you might, might be able to get a almost passable story. I enjoy the film because it has Paul Rudd in one of his first early roles as adult Tommy Doyle, the little boy that Jamie Lee Curtis's character was babysitting yeah. in the original movie. He is the one who has uncovered the secret. It's it's the cult of Thorn, and it's basically goes back to the Druids. Uh, Druid clans would pick one person from their clan to be their their protector, their defender, the 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 person that would be endowed with abilities to take out their enemies. The only catch was to fulfill the prophecy to be that ultimate being. They had to wipe out their bloodline. Which then explains why Michael Myers was always going after his family and had to try to kill them. Again, we're explaining the monster, so it kind of takes away the mystique of the boogeyman. Ah. But in a way, I know that I'm probably in the minority of this. I think the concept works. They just The execution of it was just all wrong. Mystery is 
good. Well, yeah. yeah. It can be good. Not everything required needs to be revealed. Otherwise, you take it away. And I will give a perfect example. I'm not trying to go off. But the um, Joker origin movie. We don't need an origin of the Joker. We don't. I do agree that you don't necessarily have to always explain the monster. But depending on what story you're telling, you kind of have to explain some motivation. There's, And that's reasonable. Depending. But sometimes, again... When Michael get he doesn't speak. That's the best part about him. Mm-hmm. That's one of the great things. It's you don't know, right? He he is very mysterious. And at the end of the sixth film, Curse of Michael Myers, even though his niece has been killed, there's still a baby. She had a baby, so he has a grand nephew who is still out there somewhere. You would think that the next film would you would want to focus on him going after the grand nephew, and they didn't decide to do that. They decided to do H two O, and H two O ignores all the films dealing with Laurie's daughter, 98, Jamie. Ninety eight. Yes, nineteen ninety eight okay. is is when H two O came out. Okay. It only focuses on the first two movies. So Laurie Strode and Michael are still brother and sister, and it's been twenty years. Michael's been missing. Laurie's been missing. When H2O starts, it starts with Michael breaking into the house of the nurse that used to work with Dr. Loomis and going through all of his files, evidently to learn where Lori is, which would make you think that Dr. Loomis helped Lori fake her death because Lori, now going under an assumed name living in California as the headmistress of a very posh private school, tells her boyfriend, I'm not who you think I am. I actually faked my death years ago to uh, to stay away from my brother. With that mentality, because they actually used the faking of death in a car accident the same way that they used it to kill off her character, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, at the beginning of Return of Michael Myers, makes you believe, you could believe, you could take this leap with me, because I have, I've taken this leap, that Lori had Dr. Loomis help her fake her death and leave her child behind making Laurie's character an even more despicable character because she's so messed up with what her life has become. You know, her brother is this this psycho killer. He is the boogeyman, and she, she lives in constant fear. So to save her daughter and to save her sanity, she fakes her death and she runs away, not knowing that, you know, her, her crazy brother would then come after her, her only daughter. It adds a few more layers onto Laurie Strode's character if you may if you were to connect H2O with the rest of the series. Then you get resurrection. It, it, <sighs> nope, nope, nope. Just Well, it's part of the it's part of the series. So That's part of the timeline. And it is part of it well, it's the end of the timeline because that was the movie that was the movie that pretty much killed the Halloween franchise. If I'm correct, mm-hmm. in the end of H2O, the scene where Michael was reaching out to his sister one last time, and then she decapitates him. She killed a cop. Yeah. Yeah, Michael wakes up from the body bag that he was put in and just puts his mask on the cop and and crushes his larynx so he can't talk. Yeah. And she decapitates him. So that lands her in a loony bin. So the beginning of Resurrection, she's she's in a loony bin. Michael comes to visit and kills her. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is killed off within the first 10 minutes. And then Michael goes home. He goes back to Haddonfield and goes to his house. Now, at this point in time, Busta Rhymes and Vivica A. Fox, who are running a reality show, get a bunch of teen or get a bunch of college students to be a part of this live webcam show on Halloween night where they stay in the Myers house 
again, for the time period of this movie, you're talking about the early 2000s and found footage and, and you know, that whole handy that, cam, that steady was cam stuff. all the rage. It was all the rage. So, of course, the Halloween franchise was going to follow that trend. Sadly, it also ended the franchise because after dying in a fire, after fighting Buster Rhymes with his kung fu moves. Buster Rhymes kung fu moves again? I'm sorry? Buster Rhymes kung fu moves. That's me pounding my head on the mic in <laughs> frustration of, you get it. We're to believe Michael is dead, but of course he pops up at the very end of the film in the in the morgue, but we never see him again. And after Resurrection, that's when the franchise was rebooted by Rob Zombie. The second way that you can look at these movies, this timeline, is to only watch Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and then H2O. Well. So there's three movies for you. If so you, want... you can ignore the complete cult, uh, can, yes. abandoned daughter. Right. You can, you can ignore all those and get a, and still get a solid story if you watch Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and Halloween H2O. So there's your second timeline to follow. Now here's the, your third. There's the reboot. Thank God there was only two of these movies. But Rob Zombie decided that he wanted to put his own unique spin on the Halloween legacy by actually explaining what the monster is. And it's he's not a monster, he's just it's it's a it's the whole nurture versus nature. His his take on Michael Myers is he came from a broken home, he went schizo and he just enjoys killing. Now that's just the first movie though. That that is no, just no, the first oh, movie. No, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to... If you want to talk about the second one. No, no, I want to talk about both. Because here's the thing. I was okay with Rob Zombie's vision. In other words, the first few the first part basically Michael Myers as a child. Uh, really the first 45 minutes of his movie is is yeah. we see why Michael yeah. became a killer. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually like, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay with it. The kid he chose had the perfect look. It was creepy, yeah. It was a great look. And then ugh, you get to him as an adult, and to me, it just, it didn't work because I'm looking at him going, all right, you are in an insane asylum since you were a child, and it's an insane asylum. It's not prison. No, you don't get to uh, work out and lift weights and things like that. And how did you end up? And you end up looking like you were a pro wrestler. Well, right, yeah. No, you don't. That doesn't. (sighs) But it works if he's a monster. If he's this mysterious force, it does work. Because he, he, he's not. He's not a mysterious force. He's just a human. That's and therein lies. uh, Trust me, there are a lot of problems with Rob Zombie's first movie. I could ignore some of those problems because it was a different take and it was interesting to see what he did. The problem is is that once he made the se- his second oh, movie, God. the second movie was so bad that it kind of negates any good will the first movie garnered from me. But but again, we're not here to talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween films, yeah, but we're mentioning it. That's, move, that's move, timeline move number three. <laughs> timeline number four is with this newest film. This newest film ignores everything except for John Carpenter's original 1978 film. So in a sense, you could call this Halloween H4O because it is 40 40 years years later. later. It is 40 years later. 
depending on how you like your Michael Myers and depending on how much Jamie Lee Curtis you want sprinkled in into it, you have four different options for enjoying the legacy that is Halloween and Michael Myers. That being said, let's cut the crap and get to our review of Halloween 2018. So as we get started with this review, let me give you a brief synopsis of what this film is about. 40 years ago, Laurie Strode survived an attack from Michael Myers, a notorious killer who, who had murdered five people on that faithful Halloween night in 1978. That messed Laurie Strode completely up to the point to where she had failed marriages, she had her child taken away, she became a survivalist, and it was all about this obsession of Michael Myers must die because Michael has now been locked up for the last 40 years. Even though at the end of the original film, you know, he's shot six times, falls out of a second-story window, and gets up and walks away. But I digress. So it's all about these investigative journalists who have a podcast how ironic <laughs> hey podcast podcast it's all about them it, 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 they they like to dig up new information they about old find, cases they want to find cold cases shed new light on them and their reasoning is to possibly maybe right some wrongs they have right. good intentions they their, their hearts are in the right place yeah but as a, as some people would say, sometimes you let that dog sleep. Well, yeah, because it, it, it's a little bit too bleeding heart for me because Michael is getting ready to be transferred from Smith's Grove, which is a nice institution, mm -hmm. to a new place where it's basically a hellhole. He's going to be locked away. He'll never see the sun again, blah, 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 blah. But boo-hoo, this murderer, psychotic murderer who hasn't spoken a word in over 40 years... He doesn't deserve to be put into a hellhole. Ah, he murdered five people. But again, it's it's the bleeding hearts once once you know justice for Michael. Oh, okay, shit happens, and of course Michael escapes, and it's on, and that's what the movie's about. <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Uh, this review is going to be filled with some spoilers. We're not going to give the ending away and things like that, but we are going to be talking about parts of this film that would be spoilers. So if you have not seen it, stop what you're doing, stop what you're doing, pause the podcast, go watch the movie, and then come back and enjoy our review. The script. I absolutely love Michael Myers, the concept of Michael Myers, the legacy of Michael Myers. I, we're recording in my personal studio right now which is surrounded by all of my movies and the majority of my movies are horror movies and i own all of the halloween films minus the rob zombie films because i can always watch those if i if i want to punish myself i can watch those on streaming but even the bad michael myers movies are fun because it's still michael myers so this movie had a lot to live up to because you tell me that you're ignoring everything except for the first movie and I'm going like, wow, that's that's kind of a slap in the face to Michael Myers fans, people who love this franchise, despite all of its faults. 
it was very hard for me to go into and watch this movie with an open mind and trying to be biased. There's two halves of me. There's one that is insulted that they would go and do this and make Halloween H4O and have it have nothing to do with the franchise except for that first movie. But then there was another part of me that's like, all right, we finally get another Michael Myers movie that's not related to the Rob Zombie timeline. And as a bonus, we get Jamie Lee Curtis back playing an iconic final girl character. Personally, I would call her like the final girl. In a sense, she is the final, final girl because not only was she... Yes, she was a victim, but then she also was, she fought back as well. Right. I was very, I, I, I liked it. I Point blank, bottom line. Story-wise, you liked it. You yes, thought it, you yes, thought it, it was, was it, it, it hit, to me, the story, uh, the script, it hit all the things that you would hear nowadays. It even addresses a couple things far as the what. The teenage characters felt like teenage characters to me, yes, yes. Yes, yeah, you know, everything felt like that's was right and it also kind of said you know what all right fine that's how you feel that's how you feel about this let's see what happens when you're actually faced with it Mm, true true it's not necessarily one of those films that followed the horror movie tropes no in most hollywood cranked out horror movies there has to be a scare every 10 minutes you gotta have a lot of blood a lot of gore you gotta have nudity and stuff like that and i gotta say we didn't fall into those tropes. There were a couple of jump scares that are deliberate. The music gets turned up real loud and somebody jumps out and, and makes makes you go, ah! But those are expected. To me, it set the mood right. It, yeah. it did a good job of setting the mood, setting the tone, getting every... It, it followed through with everything to the point to where you wouldn't say, okay, this is just ridiculous. To me, honestly, watching the movie, I cannot recollect... Any moment where I said, okay, this is just ridiculous. Mm. It felt like these follow the horror movie trope or horror movie blueprint. It felt like it was a different type of movie. It felt like, it, to me, it felt like it kind of said, okay, you know what? We want to pay homage to this because there were a lot of callbacks. There were. And it pays enough homage to where it says, okay, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel we're not trying to give you nostalgia. We're just trying to give you something basic and good. And sometimes basic, like go back to basics, is the best thing. Right, and- going back to basics, yeah. Now, something that I need to bring up, since we are talking about the script, is that the film was written by David Gordon Green right. and Danny McBride. Okay, and, um, why does uh, that name sound familiar? Danny McBride, comedy actor? You know Danny McBride. Okay. All right. Danny McBride from East, you know, Eastbound and Down, All right. Pineapple Express, oh. This is the End, Tropic Thunder. Okay. All a right. comedic actor helped write a and champion this, this, this movie, along with David Gordon Green, who also helped write a lot of stuff that Danny McBride was in and has directed a lot of stuff that Danny McBride was in. So going into this, I was like, how much humor are we going to have in this movie? And and honestly, there was humor. But it and was it usually was, you need humor in horror movies to alleviate the the, the, it the tension. It didn't feel shoehorned in. Not all of it. Not all of it was shoehorned in. Uh, one one uh, point in case that I have to talk about is the babysitter scene. You've got one of the main characters' friends who can't go to the Halloween party because she's babysitting, and then you've got the little kid that she's babysitting. The back and forth between them and the actual kid himself was cute, almost 
to the point to where th- there were a hand, but there were a handful of times where it seems like the comedic character, the character that only exists in a film to alleviate the tension by cracking a joke. Some of those, the, the fat friend, which <sighs> which actually kind of uh, being a huskier guy myself, I kind of felt a little insulted that the chunky teenage character, male teenage character, is the well, actually, the Danny McBride character. I could picture Danny McBride playing that character and then getting, <gasps> spoiler, killed off halfway through the film because you got to have a body count. Some of the humor was very, most of the humor, I will say, most of the humor was very appreciated, but there were some times where I was like, wow, you're trying to make me laugh, and I'm not, I'm not having it. I'm going to be honest with you. The, the scene with the uh, follow-up scene from the babysitter and the kid. Yeah. The kid running away. Things he was saying as he was running away, I just kind of went, come on. Yeah. Come on, for real? Right. No, no, I, no, spoiler, I totally uh, agree. Spoiler alert, the kid's black, so he does what a black kid would do and says some, hey, and <laughs> FYI, everybody, I'm uh, African-Canadian, so guess yeah, what? Yes, I can it, say that. Diesel is allowed to say that he is he is black Canadian, so it's all, it's all good. She tells him, run away, run away. He runs away. Go get help. He runs away. And he runs into the boyfriend, and he's, man, go out there again. Go out there and save her. Yeah, no, go sit him instead. No, you you stay down here. You st-. Again, like I said, some of the humor helps, but sometimes it felt like we're being funny just because we can be funny and get away with it. But honestly, you can look past it. You can. You can. I expect, it, it for modern horror movies, I expect stuff like that, especially if, it, if you're a slasher movie. Yes. It, it it's almost like you kind of have to have the tongue in cheek humor. Again, it didn't it didn't annoy me, but I'm bringing it up because it was obvious. There was humor in the original film, uh, but it wasn't slap you in the face obvious like it was in this film. The other thing that uh, the, the the other part of the story that I'd want to complain about, if I may. So there is one character. And because this is a spoiler-filled review, I'm, I'm giving this one away. So For free. For free. I'm giving it for free. But wait, there's more. Michael's doctor, who we're introduced to at the beginning of the movie, took over for Dr. Loomis after Dr. Loomis passed away. He was evidently a student of Dr. Loomis's. This character, who's obsessed with the fact that Michael hasn't said a word and he needs to be continue to be studied to find out you know, the nature of evil... But he's very upset that he's that Michael is being transferred. If you pay attention during the movie, even the police are saying we are going to kill him. Oh yeah, he needs to die. They're, yeah, he needs they're to not. Die. They're not. They're not hiding that fact at all. No, except the doctor who says no. We need. He's him alive. my patient. He comes alive. He's still the ward of the state. You don't hurt him. What? Hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sure, doc. No problem. Yeah. We'll we'll use kid gloves on this guy who's just murdered a whole bunch of other people now tonight too. Cool. The, the police get Michael. It, it looks like, oh, okay, justice will prevail and, you know, revenge and justice and vengeance, all of that, all that great stuff. And then the doctor just kills the cop, the main cop character of the movie. He happens to have a, he happens to have a scalpel in disguise ink, of a pen. Ink, ink pen. It's a, it's a fancy schmancy scalpel ink pen. That I, he, out that of he nowhere. Uses, yeah, just, he, he decides he's going to, he's going to stab the cop. To save Michael because he wants to see Michael in the wild. He wants to see what Michael is capable of. That character shift 
there was not enough character development for this character for you to, to I guess it was supposed to be a surprise. It's supposed to be shocking. But to me, it came like... The shock effect r- Really? Of it? No, that wasn't... Uh, they were going for a shock effect. They were going for but a shock, the problem, but it was a stupid do, shock. They, they could have showed facial changes, facial cues, something to foreshadow. He could have been more unhinged yeah. as the movie progressed leading up to that point. We get none of that. We get absolutely none of that, and that's why I say that is probably the biggest ding that I would give this movie, you writing-wise. Now, I want to play devil's advocate. About the doctor? Yeah. Because oh, all right. you say, you know, he hasn't said anything for 40 years. Right. So how, what makes, what is it that he's done that makes him so desirable, makes you want to just, for this, so for, for this entire time, you are obsessed you say that makes no sense because he's never said anything to make to even try to lure him. You brought up the whole uh, Harley Quinn Joker dynamic. When we were on the way to the studio to record, we we had a brief conversation about our thoughts. Harley Quinzel being twisted and going bad, if you want to call it that, by being the doctor of the Joker makes sense because, hey, the Joker can actually talk to you and twist you into knots and right. actually get you to go a little nuts. Where Michael is concerned, it seems like the only thing that's interesting about him is the mystique that he doesn't talk because nobody can find out why he does what he's doing because they he won't tell them. Now, this is where this is where I can play devil's advocate. Is okay. Because one of my biggest problems, I'm always attracting people to me regardless of what I if I say anything. And I'm always like I just want to be left alone. Leave me alone. Right. I don't say a word. Okay. But yet people keep coming up to. Well, me. you're tall, dark, and mysterious. Exactly. But this, but, but this doctor's not a woman. This but, doctor's a man. But men did it too. <laughs> I see the mystique as in there. He's he's hanging around and hanging on to him because he's waiting for the day. Uh, the perfect analogy would be is uh, Jake the Snake Robert said this in an old wrestling promo. He said um, a lot of these guys out here, they like to talk, they like to scream and they like to holler. I don't do that because I learned a long time ago that if you have enough power, you can speak softly and everyone will listen. Right. Michael doesn't say anything. The minute he says something, pe- people want to be there for that. Okay. So the doctor's like, I want to be there. So in order for get him to talk, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to hang around and maybe if I put him in his out- outside environment. So I can see the obsession. I can see an obsession, too. Dr. Loomis had an obsession with Michael. If you remember the original film, once Michael got into the sanitarium, I, you know, he spent so many years trying to reach Michael, and then once he realized that there was nothing to reach, it was just pure evil, he spent the rest of that time trying to make sure that he stayed locked up as tight as he could. Right. Because Loomis knew... He was pure evil. He was the boogeyman. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing about that. Sometimes people don't come to that realization. Hence, why you have cults like right. Dave Koresh, Charles Manson. Where you have, where you have these cults because some people don't see that. Some people fall into it, and you don't necessarily need someone to give you the sermon and to sure. talk you into it. Sometimes you can get it. You can get sucked in, and all they do just stand there. Again, I know this because. Of what's happened to me before. Right, but those are hood rats and wackadoos, and you actually do 
eventually say something to them, as in, get away from me, or I don't want to be bothered. I I respect your devil's advocate opinion, but here's the thing. It just boils down to this. While writing this film, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, has become the new Loomis. She knows Michael has to die. So therefore, the new Doctor character, since we can't have Dr. Loomis, the new Doctor character can't be the same way. Can't be, oh, he's evil and he must be put down and ah, you can't have that. So he has to be the opposite. But it seems like we have to make him the complete opposite of Dr. Loomis because reasons. We can't have the same thing from the first movie, even though we're paying a lot of homages or homages to not only the first movie, but the second movie and the third movie. And the seventh movie. And there's probably even more that I didn't even pick up. But again, we won't waste any more time bitching about that. Where the script is concerned, I can tell you I would have to give Halloween 2018 half a star. Some characters weren't developed enough. Some of the humor was forced. But I wasn't bored while watching it. and, And the majority of the story did make sense. And I do have to admit, the kills were fantastic. They were very creative. So again, half a star for script. All right, I can go with that. All right. I can agree. I can definitely attest to that. The acting. Strangely enough, there seemed to be a lot of actors, and maybe not a lot, but there were a handful of actors that I know more from comedy films than horror films that were in this movie. Case in point, uh, Judy Greer plays Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter in this movie. I know Judy Greer more from comedy shows and movies than anything serious whatsoever. And I have to say, at first, it was a little jarring. Because also, her husband, is the, uh, the, the actor who plays her husband, Toby Huss, uh, H-U-S-S, uh, also, comedic actor. Uh, one of the most notable things that I remember him from is Down Periscope. Uh, funny Kelsey Grammer submarine movie. Okay. But again, comedic actor. Yet. They were able to pull they, off they serious. They pulled off husband, wife, mother, father, in danger, we don't want to deal with the crappy craziness. They, they did all right. I was I was... Halfway through the film, I was like, I was no longer waiting for them to start cracking jokes because they were comedic actors. I was paying attention to their performance because, oh, wow, you're, you're, you're not being funny. Good. You can actually pull off serious for the part. It didn't feel hokey. Again, I don't think anybody in this film felt no, hokey, it, kooky, or out of place at all. Like, everything felt natural except the turn. Well, right, right. To but me, again, the guy, the, the the actor playing the doctor, played every, it beautifully. I mean, he he, he was fine. Really, honestly, there is nothing about the acting from anybody in this film that I can complain about because everybody fit their role, whether whether it was you know body count or exposition. Everybody had a place, and everybody did a great job. Usually, I'm very critical about the acting, but nobody's performance screamed at me going like oh wow boy that was bad except for maybe the kid oh yeah but he's a kid so you can't really hold i'm not yeah and i'm not gonna hold i'm not gonna hold a higher standard of acting chops to a kid who's probably only done 
commercials and things like that. That might have been that might have been his like first major movie. Who knows? I didn't recognize him, but he did his job. He was an annoying kid who who had some good lines, some good banter with his babysitter, and w- ran like hell when when the stabbing started. Quick note: Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. Everything Let's else. Let's talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Everything else. The dinner scene. Okay. Dinner scene. Before Michael breaks out. She comes in. They like address some like some drinking problems she had. She has. And all of a sudden she does like this. She acts completely out of the, the character she established. Like in the beginning of the movie. She was Laurie Strode, the Laurie Strode that we wanted, or as I would, good analogy, I'm, I like to think of is Sarah Connor. Your Terminator 2 Sarah Connor character. Yeah, gotcha. okay? She's there. And then after the dinner scene, she's Sarah Connor. But in the dinner scene, all of a sudden, you know, she chucks some wine and then has like this breakdown where she's crying. Well, yeah, but it makes sense with the, the previous scene. She was sitting outside the sanitarium watching the bus leave. She saw Michael. On the bus. She saw him. And remember, she was crying in her truck. And then the next scene is at dinner. So she just had a really traumatic thing. This is the first time she's seen him in 40 years. Okay. All right. So she shows up to her family. She's shaken. So, of course, yeah, going to keep on drinking. And then she breaks down. Okay. Because, right. because unlike Sarah Connor who was evidently just this emotionalist badass and it's all about survival and the future. Laurie Strode has emotions. And cares about and, her And family. cares about her family, yeah, because exactly. It's... And cares about what her mental illness has done to her family. It gives her more depth. Okay. Which I appreciate. Okay, all right. Well, then I will retract that one. No, 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 no. It was explained. It was explained, and, and hopefully people who have seen the film because if you haven't seen the film and you're listening to this podcast, you're stupid. You should see this film and listen, then listen to this podcast. But those of you who have seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. It adds to the character of Laurie Strode. So where the acting is concerned, despite the fact that the script tells certain actors you have to behave this way, everybody played their part well, even the kids. And that's the thing. Kids aren't going to be rational aren't going to make the best decisions, so it makes sense that they would behave that way. So I'm going to give acting a full star. Yeah, I'm going to have to, and again, I'm not just agreeing just to agree. No, I honestly, I did not see a problem with the performances of the actors in a whole. So yes, full star for me as well. (laughs) Overall production. Here's something that, I, and and I've talked I've talked to some people in in preparation for doing this podcast and seeing the film. I talked to I've been talking to a lot of people, and the fact that John Carpenter is attached to this movie has gotten people very excited. The thing is, is that they're not really doing their research. John Carpenter has nothing to do with this movie outside of the music. He and his kids came in and did a new score of the old score. It's a, it's a newer, fresher version of the original Halloween theme. Now, yes, he's John Carpenter, so of course he's also going to get that nice little executive producer credit. But this film had like 10 executive producers, including Danny McBride and Jamie Lee Curtis. John Carpenter had nothing to do with the story. 
He was a consultant after he joined the team, but not a writer. But the story was so interesting enough that got him to come in, be a part of the production, get that little name there under those executive producers, and do the score, which worked great. The atmosphere of a movie, especially a horror movie, works when the score complements it. And nobody can deny the score from the 1978 Halloween did not improve the movie. And I will not deny that the score for this movie, the Halloween 2018, the score definitely improved my enjoyment of this film, along with all of the homages to the previous films. Even though we're ignoring the continuity, there were enough nods to some of the older films that as a fan of horror and as a fan of Halloween movies, I appreciate it. But... As a fan of the Halloween series as a whole, those nods also felt like a slap in the face. It was almost like the production team was saying, those other films sucked, but we're going to toss in the good bits just to mess with you. Piss off, fanboy. But that's the Halloween legacy fan in me that feels that way, not necessarily the film reviewer. The thing I did like for they did is if you watch a movie in the 80s and you watch a movie now Mm. you notice in the 80s the opening credits they have those they show those opening credits right yeah sometimes they just stop and just sort of screen and they just put everything there sometimes they do it with like uh as sort of a a foreground with you know like as stuff's happening you'll see the the credits rolling by. right yeah, yeah yeah but if you notice now they don't really do that as much they don't really have any opening credits outside of a couple of things and a couple of stars and the title. They don't really do that anymore. Hollywood it, is very much about getting to the movie. Right. Right. But no, this I, one I agree, did know. something that I applaud them for and I kind of enjoyed, even though I'm okay with, hey, let's get to the movie, was that they did the opening credits mm-hmm. with the 1978 style. Like everything was, yeah. it felt vintage. And, right. No, no, and, no I agree. Yeah. And they did something with the pumpkin, even though they didn't. Uh, they they reverse engineered the pumpkin, right? The the pumpkin starts off aged, yeah, like it had rotted, yeah. So they reverse the footage of that, and you're actually seeing the pumpkin go from rotted to full blown jack o' lantern goodness. Right. But they did it with like even the lettering was. It looked. It was of, classic Halloween font. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, if, if, if you want to call it a font, yeah, yeah. It didn't look crisp it had that kind of like dull look the lettering did i appreciated that i like that part i did i really did appreciate well let's keep on talking about things we appreciate the mask this is one of the first times in halloween history again not counting the rob zombie films that we actually had a mask that was almost the mask from the very first movie. If it, Almost the William Shatner mask. To me, it looked like they kept the mask, got the original mask because it had the age. It, it, it looked it, it looked aged. It did look aged. Well, I mean, the problem is, is that the original mask is aged and is falling apart and there's nothing you can do with it. Yeah. It's wrapped in a plastic bag in somebody's uh, collection somewhere. The mold to that original mask that was owned by the original company that produced the Star Trek masks don't exist anymore. So there's no way of getting William Shatner's visage 
from that time period. No, there's no way. <laughs> but now we have the technology. I mean, with 3D printing and shit like that, now we have better than just using CGI to slap a, slap it on an actor's face. You don't have, or we have the technology to where we can get something so close to the original that it would fool people. And I would not be surprised, depending on 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 how they made this mask. And I'm looking forward to the DVD release because I or the DVD and Blu-ray release because I will be picking it up because I'm a sucker for special features and learning stuff about how films are made. I want to know how this mask was made because I, I it almost looked like it was just an aged version of that original mask. Think of what I did like about it because one thing you, you I know we all know you're a fan of are practical effects. Oh yes, now, big fan of practical effects. The thing about the mask that I did appreciate and I've seen this in movies where where they won't do all CGI or yeah. all practical effects. They'll put the face on, but they'll put CGI on top of the face. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was pure mask. Now, uh, uh, practical I, effects. You want to talk about the marriage between practical effects and the CGI. I found that in this movie, where the kills were concerned, that marriage was almost damn near perfect. Because there were a lot of there were a lot of things that I know were practical effects, but then they went like a they went like two or three steps above being a practical effect to where I know, okay, so we added a little CGI there, but I can't tell where you added the CGI. And, and when you do shit, shit like that, that's how CGI is supposed to be used. Improve the pa practical effect by removing the wires or the tubes or you know the, the toothpicks that are holding the pieces of fake skin together. The thing about CGI, you, you, it needs to fool you. Yeah. I need, are, to be, I need to be fooled. I need to believe that, wait a minute, okay. I need to truly believe that Gandalf is this much taller. Ian McKellen is this much taller than <laughs> Samwise Ganshi or uh, what's his name? Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood is that much taller than Elijah Wood. Well, well, right. The whole point is CGI is to enhance but not replace. Well, yes. A perfect example of the replacing practical with just CGI, uh, the Ninja Turtle films. So yes, uh, using using the, the there was there was definitely CGI in this movie, but you can't tell. I was not able to tell when I was seeing CGI. Effects. Like maybe when it was it, great when the when it comes out for home release. Yeah, because we let let us let us point this out. We did not watch it in IMAX, so uh, maybe you know the crisper image would give or, some of them away. And I'm not going to buy it in 4K when it comes out. I'm a Blu-ray guy. I have 1080p on my TV, and I'm happy with that. Also, we couldn't pause it to see. Well, true, because so, we're in a movie theater. Other other things about the production, the setting, even when we were deliberately kind of mirroring moments from the first movie, but you weren't just blatantly, hey, you remember the original movie? So we're going to do this. No. So I appreciate that. There were a lot of homages to some of the other films. Well, there was one setting, and it was the beginning of the movie, where they're at the mental institution. They're at Smith's Groves, okay. Yeah, and they have that, uh, the, the inmates have their rec time. If you will call. Oh, it. so so the, the 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 part where they're outside in the yard. Yeah, and they are you know, basically they have them chained. Yeah, yeah. And 
there's a post and there's a chain around them and there is a square that there's a line they draw for each inmate. Right. So Don't cross the line because then you know they can reach the you. inmate will t- can touch you if they want to. They yes. can reach you. Right. Okay. That atmosphere didn't. I honestly don't know a place that has that. That 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 would have. I mean, not saying no, they no, don't I, have parts. They don't have place where you know they chain the inmates up and put the line there. But it just felt too bright to me. It did feel too bright to me. It didn't feel. No, I no, I, I get what you're saying. It kind of felt like you, we're talking about this this like, crazy and all maniac. The, and, and, and you know, and all these inmates have these bright white suits on, right? Because it's because like, it's like, not it's not prison. You know, but yeah, but I mean, there was no dirt on them. It just didn't. I'm like, no. It was a nice facility. See, you're you're used to going. You're used to seeing movies where insane asylums are these rundown places where the inmates are just dirty and nobody no, no, cares. No, 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 no. That's what I'm. That's not where I'm getting at because the see, the problem with that is not necessarily what I'm used to in other movies because again, this is different time. The same times don't look like that. I've been locked up before, right? Okay, and you've been locked up in nice places, but you've also been locked up in some shit places too. Yeah, and regardless, nothing looks like that. Mm. Nothing looks that clean. Nothing. Nothing looks that clean. That open. That bright. That was the only problem I had. I'm like, nothing looks. No, no. Like, well, you were locked up in a jail. This is an insane asylum. I know, and True. I've been in, well. and I've been in some of those too. And I can tell you, even I've and I and I've seen some insane people. I've been around some insane people. And regardless of okay, this is the facility they clothe them and everything. No, they are not going to keep this shit completely white all the time. Now you can say, oh, it was just that one scene. No, it just. It didn't. That scene didn't. As uh, far as that goes, did not feel right to me. Hmm. It didn't feel natural to me, and that's just going off what I've seen. Okay. So that and that's the very beginning of the movie for you. Yeah. So, but other than me, that, everything else well fit just right. Where the production is concerned, for me, I, I I'm gonna give this a full star. Another full star for for production. Screw it. I'm gonna go full star. Because I can forgive that because of the how they built up the thing with with the mask and everything building because right. of that, so I can I'll I'll forgive that, and the fact that it was kind of unique to do it that way, chain the people up and yeah. put the little you know section them off. Right. So you know what? I'll give it a full star. Final thoughts. As a fan of the Halloween franchise and the character of Michael Myers in particular. Uh, actually, a fan of Michael Myers, Laurie Strode, and Dr. Sam Loomis. Going into this movie, I was expecting to be very disappointed and very angry. And there is still a part of me, there that fanboy, that you know, raging fanboy down deep inside of me that uh, will pop up anytime I'm ready to go off on a rant. He's still a little angry. He's still a little angry that this film comes out and ignores everything else that he loved, even the crap, even the crap that he loved. It ignores everything except for that very first movie. But I cannot deny as as a film appreciator, as an actor, as a writer, as a filmmaker myself, I can't deny the fact that despite all of the odds against this film being good it was good i enjoyed myself hell 
I probably would even go see it again in theaters. I sometimes have trouble balancing my passionate fanboy side with my critical reviewer side. This film divided me. Even though a part of me wants to poo-poo it and claim that it sucks, it gets a two and a half star rating from me. And same for you. Same for you. You have the exact same rating as yeah, I do. A, I say go out there, go see it. And as a matter of fact, I would say go watch it again just in case you have a different opinion than we do. Because maybe a second viewing might change your opinion. And uh, for the better or for the worse. Who knows? Jamie Lee Curtis, Lori Strode, good. You know what? I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually going to say this portrayal of Lori Strode, I enjoyed better than... Than when she was Laurie Strode in Halloween well, H2O. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not, oh, I'm not knocking it at all. I'm not knocking it. Right, right. Because, well, I'm, I'm just saying because to me, it feels same character, only different ev- circumstances evolved. It just evolved to a certain from different different points. I can see the evolution and the reason for it. Right. But anybody who doesn't think Jamie Lee Curtis still doesn't got it anymore, she's got it. She's got it in spades. The reason anyone will go see Halloween. Is because of yeah we talk about Laurie Strode and the cast and everything. It's because of Michael Myers. That's why people are going to go see Halloween, and he is in top form. He is the essential Michael Myers to me. This is what Michael Myers is supposed to be: quiet, walking, brutal, not flashy with his kills. Just hey, I'm here to kill you. That's it. Whatever his we don't even though we don't know what his mission is, he's on it and he's relentless about it. But he's also intelligent. The Michael Myers in this movie, to me, is perfect. Those are our opinions. We want to know what you think. If you've seen the movie, let us know what you would rate this film. Does it deserve three stars? Uh, did you have problems with the writing? Did you have problems with the acting? Were you not impressed with the overall production? Let us know. Reach out to us at our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Fill out the contact form. Let us know. We want to know what your opinion is on Halloween 2018. So until next time, I'm your host, Nicholas J. Hearn. And I'm your other host, Diesel Adams. And remember, folks, don't be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations, you've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only a podcast. podcast.